0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we talk to the New Zealand Rugby League manager, Tony Kemp, about the Kiwis team named this week and the ongoing issue of New Zealand-born players forsaking their country for the chance to play State of Origin. We catch up with the Breakers basketballer, Tom Abercrombie, as the star swingman struggles to recover from ankle surgery for the start of the ANBL season. We pick the brain of rowing New Zealand's high-performance manager, Alan Cotter, after the New Zealand summer squad was announced. And we discuss the latest rumbling of discontent from Team New Zealand surrounding the America's Cup. A 19-man Kiwis rugby league squad was named this week to face Australia in a one-off test in Townsville next Saturday, and the naming came with some good news, with the Canterbury Bulldogs' Sam Cassiano bucking a recent trend by choosing to represent New Zealand over playing state of origin. The selection calmed New Zealand nerves at the NRL's prop of the year might turn his back on his country in favour of chasing a Queensland berth and the potential $50,000 per origin game that comes with it. The New Zealand-born Canberra Ford Josh Papali'i chose the lure of origin just last week and while the New Zealand manager Tony Kemp is delighted the Kiwis have secured the services of cassiano he says the issue of eligibility is far from over. I spoke to Kemp about the controversial Origin versus New Zealand debate and about the dropping of regular winger Manu Vatuve and Vice Captain Adam Blair from the Kiwis squad.
1: There's a number of players that have missed out this year whether it be due to former injury, you know you're talking about Sean Kenny Dale. Jared Warrior hargraves you've also got Adam Blair in there, um, Kevin Locke, Thomas Lulawai, who's up in England, uh, Alex Glenn, Jason Nightingale, and of course Sika Manu. So, you know, the side's been, been picked on form. It's it's wonderful now that New Zealand have depth and that you guys are talking about players being left out as opposed to not having enough players to choose from. Um, so, you know, unfortunately for uh, a number of players, and um, it, you know, the team has been selected on form uh, and currently, um, you know, what those players um, that have been left out um, are looking at is, is trying to get back into the side for the Anzac Test next year leading into the World Cup so yeah, it bodes well for New Zealand that we have uh, at least you know another dozen players to choose from leading into next year.
0: So you'd call those welcome selection headaches?
1: Of course I think 100% you know if you're looking at the depth that the New Zealand Rugby League um, has at them at, at currently it's only going to um, grow, um, you know, and it wasn't too long ago we were selecting players out of second grade so there's so many quality players not playing for the Kiwis at the moment um, is, is, is more of a, a good problem if you, if you want to call it that way and, and then rather than a, a problem we, we are trying to find players to play for us
0: I'm looking through the team now and you mentioned Sean Kenny Dow there doesn't seem to be any, I guess, obvious centre combinations jumping out at me what are you thinking along those lines?
1: Oh, well, obviously you've got the Canterbury um, combination. that's obviously done pretty well. They got them to the grand final with uh, Kristen Anu and Sammy Pirat, uh, And there's a number of players that have played centre in the side. Um, you know, the, the coaches will look at manufacturing, um, you know, some combinations over the, the next 10 days up in Townsville. So I'm pretty sure whatever they come up with is going to be uh, good enough to handle the Australians.
0: Was there anyone that was kind of on the outside of your thinking or perhaps not in the frame that really put their hand up during the NRL finals and kind of forced their way into the side?
1: Um, I suppose the most unlucky player out of here here is Sikamaru, who's had um, an up-and-down season at Melbourne and and came back through injury uh, to secure a a grand final ring. Um, He's been a, a great servant of... The Kiwi team um, in the past and only just missed selection on this occasion, but it just goes to show the form, especially through the the Melbourne Storm and the Canary Bulldogs, of um, their middle players and their edge players that uh, have kept Seeker out um, this time around. But for for us, you know, we've got at least a dozen players that you could call, um, I suppose, unlucky not to make this, this one off test.
0: Do you consider any of the selections to be bolters?
1: I think Dean Whare is a bolter. Um, You know, the selectors talked long and hard in around his form this year for Manly. Uh, He's regarded at Manly um, as a huge asset to that team leading into their season um, and the way to get them to where they ended up this year and also as a big loss on his his way to Penrith with Ivan Cleary this year. So he's, um, again, it's important. You know, this game is is not only just about the one-off test but we're looking to build in positions um, in and around the World Cup next year and we see Dean Whare being a big part of that World Cup team next season.
2: Is
0: that long view certainly the one that you're taking at the moment? Obviously, these one-off tests are quite difficult for the Kiwis, or they have been in the past. Is it more of a patterns and structures-based type thing rather than the result?
1: Oh, it has to be um, 100%. You know, we've we've got the World Cup with limited games leading into it. We've got this year's um, test against Australia up in Townsville and also the Anzac test in Canberra next year before we, we build our camp- campaign into the, the World Cup in the UK. So we've got to take every opportunity to look at selections and, and uh, the future. Uh, and, is it, and when you look through the site, it's a, it's a very good young young team with plenty of potential leading into next year. So um, to answer that question, uh, yeah, we, we are taking a bit of a long, long-term view at it as well.
0: And the mix of youth and experience, you believe you've you've got a nice mix there for this selection.
1: Yeah, if you have a look through our side, we've got a number of players that have played um, 20 plus tests or close to 20 tests, uh, and a couple of new new guys. You know, Sam Cassiano, of course, uh, it's his first first test match. Kevin Proctor, you know, Dean Fodera's yet to to get some runs on the board, but. You know, we think um, that we've selected a side that uh, is big enough, um, skillful enough, and, and able to go up to Townsville and get a win. Um, and they're, they're all pretty excited about coming together again into the Kiwi Brotherhood.
0: Just a word on Big Sam. Great news, obviously, that he's chosen the right side.
1: Oh, fantastic! You know, it doesn't it doesn't fix the problem. You know, we still need to work with the ARLC. It's good to see a Kiwi choosing his country to play for. Um, but it, it, like I said, it doesn't fix the problem. We've got to make sure that we. We get um, in with the ARLC, work on these eligibility rules so that we don't continue to have this problem in the future.
0: do you like the suggestion of if you haven't played in Queensland or before you or New South Wales before you were sixteen, then you couldn't be considered
1: for origin? Well, we suggested it, um, so we obviously like it uh, <laughs> it's not going it's not going to cure the problem, um, but it's going to help fix the problem but you know the, the, the how to, how to fix this problem is to is to have uh, succinct pathways. Through 16s, 18s, and 20s. Uh, currently, our Kiwis in Australia don't get an opportunity to to represent their country. They've got to come through Australian pathways, and until they fix that problem, and support it with their billion-dollar deal um, that they've just got, you know, it wouldn't cost a hell of a lot to make sure that if a Kiwi could have to put his hand up and he looked over one fence and he saw a New Zealand pathway, looked over the other fence and saw an Australian pathway, he made a a very uh, a good decision, and then you couldn't argue with it. So. You know, that fixes a problem the residency uh, you know for a percentage of your career only fixes part of it
0: and I guess the the 50 grand that's being dangled in front of players faces for potentially each game is one thing that has to be looked at I guess oh look
1: at we just can't compete that's you know if, if you if I gave you 50 grand and you had a decision to walk over to one barrel and pick up 50 grand, and then the other one was five grand which barrel would you go to
0: oh it's obvious I've, I've never had a problem with anyone choosing the the origin sides with that motivation
1: yeah. well I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose a 50 grand. That's where we differ.
0: And you're hoping that other Kiwis that are, I guess, in line to, to make their debut in the future feel the same way you do?
1: Well I hope so, that's my job and you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You're better to be in the fight, hard um, battle, but um, it's one that I'm enjoying and we're getting uh, more more wins than losses out of it at the moment.
0: Tony Kemp, Cassiano and the manly outside back Dean Fade are the two newcomers to the Kiwis squad with seven players coming from the NRL champion Storm and the beaten grand finalist Bulldogs. The New Zealand Breakers begin the defence of their Australian National Basketball League title this week, but they'll have to do it with star guard Tom Abercrombie under an injury cloud. Abercrombie's recovery from off-season ankle surgery is taking much longer than expected, and the athletic swingman will start the season with the ankle at only 85%. I caught up with the 25-year-old at the team's training, and while he concedes the injury has been the most frustrating experience of his career, he's happy he'll at least be able to take the court and contribute to the Breakers' campaign
2: ankle's not quite at 100%, but um, I think I knew that, and um, that's fine. It's at a a level now where I'm comfortable out in the court and able to do most of the things I'm used to, and um, I definitely feel like I can go out there and contribute.
0: When you were talking to the surgeons and sort of planning your rehab, did you think you would be 100% by the start of the season?
2: Uh, Back then, yeah, probably did. (laughs) But I guess I didn't really know what I was um, getting myself into. It's... um, first time I've experienced something like this so it's obviously new territory and these these things take a little bit of time and um, they have a mind of their own you can't really rush them too much or um, that that puts you back a little bit so um, you know we'll we'll get there eventually Uh, obviously I'd like to be at 100% right now but um, it is what it is Patience is a virtue So they say (laughs) What are you, 95, 98? I don't know, it's hard to put a number on it I guess it would be 85, 90% Yeah
0: so obviously, it's affecting your sort of physicality a little bit. Is are you gonna to have to adjust your game? Do you think at all?
2: Um, yeah, I think uh, the biggest things that it's affecting me on at the moment is just, um, I guess, uh, just really having the confidence to push off it in certain, certain situations. And um, I think it's uh, it's something that I will get better with time as I learn to um, play with it. Um, Obviously, it's only been a couple of weeks since I've been back out on the court and um, I've got a few things to work through, but uh, it's, it's, it's at a level where I can play and I'm, and I'm happy with it um, and it's only going to get better from here.
0: Having not been able to take full part in pre-season training, do you feel like your basketball awareness or your on-court sort of awareness has, has suffered at all?
2: Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, Any time you take five months out of the game, you're going to um, be a little bit rusty, but you know, these last two weeks have been good to get back into it. Um, uh, hopefully, I'll just keep getting better and better as the season goes along, and you know I think I'm a player who's um, pretty pretty smart out there, and uh, you know hopefully I can use that to my advantage, and um, hopefully the rustiness won't be too bad out there.
0: Do you tend to favour your other leg? Do you try and avoid putting too much weight on the ankle, or is it don't even think about that when you're out there?
2: Oh no, I think um, one of the things during the off season with the with having that that ankle problem is I've. I've worked on uh, my left hand and driving left a little bit more, so you know hopefully that's something that I'll, uh, I'll be able to add to my game a little bit more and, and balance out because um, you know I think in the past I've been pretty dominant with my right hand, and um, you know if I can work on that left hand and, and when that ankle gets back to 100, percent I can um, have that in the arsenal as well. That is going to make me hard as a guard, which is great. Can you still throw it down? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: and you said you put on about four kilos at the gym while you've had the injury. Where's it all gone?
2: Um, It's probably all gone the last two weeks of practice, (laughs) trying to get back in shape. But um, it's been good to have a a bit of time to do some other stuff in in the off-season, get in the weight room and get a bit of strength on and hopefully I can keep some of it there for for most of the season and doesn't fall off.
0: Yeah, that silver lining to the cloud, perhaps you will have a little bit more explosiveness when you do get back to 100 with that extra
2: gym work? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've I've tried to add a lot of strength and uh, done a lot of strengthening on the ankles. So, you know, the hope is when when it's back to 100%, I'll I'll be, you know, just as good, if if not better than before uh, with all that, that extra strength and things that I got there. So that's the hope anyway.
0: This time last year you'd created history by becoming the first New Zealand team to win a senior Australian competition, this time round you're back to back champions, is there a difference in feeling coming into it, is it more relaxed now that you've done it twice?
2: I don't think so, I think um, you know, every every start of the season's the same, uh, we go out there with the same hunger and desire to go out and win a championship and you know, this team's oh! different to last year, um, we, we've added a couple of different pieces and it'll be slightly different but uh, mostly the same I think. But um, yeah, we've certainly got the pieces in place to go out and do it again.
0: And with uh, Will and the Chief going to be looking in the starting line-up this year, maybe perhaps a bit more of an inside game, does that change the way you personally play?
2: Um, oh, I think, uh, yeah, definitely we'll have a bit more inside presence, which is great. Um, but I think that'll just open up things for people like myself and all the other guards because um, you know, those guys are going to attract a lot of attention in there and it'll mean that... Um, It'll attract some, uh, you know, some of the guards helping down and maybe cheating off our men. And um, you know, with the kind of three-point shooters that we've got, they could really open things up.
0: Not having the outside presence of Gary does that, I guess. Change? Do you become more of a guard than a forward this year?
2: Um, I played pretty much solely yeah. guard last year, so I think um, what not having Gary will mean is, uh, you know, a guy like Mika will have to probably. Um, step up and uh, try and take on a little bit more responsibility on the perimeter and step his game out because he's a, he's a great shooter when he's confident and he lets it fly and um, that's something we've really encouraged from him in the, in the off-season.
0: Beyond getting yourself back to 100%, have you set yourself any personal goals for this season?
2: Uh, no, I haven't. Um, you know, I think uh, the ankle's been number one goal and uh, once that's back to 100%, um, start looking at some other things.
0: And three championships in a row, that could be considered a dynasty. Has that been mentioned at all?
2: Ah, uh, you know, we've talked about it, um, it's only been done once before and it's, it's a pretty exciting prospect so, you know, there's, there's a long way to go and it's, a, it's going to be a very tight league this year with only eight teams so, um, a lot of hard work to do but I think we've got the, the team in place and the people in place to be able to do it. And
0: last question, obviously you were enemy number one last year being reigning champions this year, do you think they're going to be coming at you even more?
2: I don't think it'll be any, dif- any different. Um, we're the defending champs, we're the only New Zealand team, we, we get every team's best shot every week and uh, we're used to that, we love it, we thrive on that um, and I'm excited to go through it all again.
0: The break is Tom Abercrombie and this is Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. Nine months out from sailing's America's Cup, the intrigue is firing up with a spat over the decision to scrap plans for a traditional Cup village in San Francisco. The change doesn't affect the defender, Oracle, or its official challenger, Sweden's Artemis, but does hit the New Zealanders and Italy's Luna Rossa. Event organisers had originally planned a village of team bases more than 1.6 kilometres removed from the main public viewing area. They've now dropped the village plan and will focus on the public area, leaving the teams to develop their own facilities without previous agreed financial help. Team New Zealand's Managing Director Grant Dalton has described as scandalous the change of plan just six months before teams are due to set up. Todd Nile spoke to Stephen Barclay, the chief executive of the America's Cup event authority, to discuss the team's concerns.
3: Look, I think that's quite a bit of mischief, frankly. Um, uh, Luna Rosa haven't said that at all. Emirates Team New Zealand have, have said that and have played the money card. Um, you know, I can tell you that there are, are no uh, cost differences with regards to thing that, things they were already paying for. They were paying for their own cranes. They were paying for water reticulation. They were paying for power. They were, all of those sorts of things. They were never paying for any uh, peer upgrades or anything like that because the port is doing that. They're paying for the capital improvements and still are paying for the capital improvements. The only area where Team New Zealand uh, is 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 going to be you know cost conscious? I suppose uh, the change is in hospitality, where you know the America's Cup event authority had said we would subsidise you know the the hospitality structure you know for want of another word the tent um, or something like that to house their guests. And, of course, then, you know, Team New Zealand would pay their own costs regarding entertaining those guests, but we would pay for the physical tent structure or what was going on the top. That now, that subsidy has evaporated because we're now going to put those sorts of things, the fan engagement stuff, we're transferring all that up to this park right opposite the race course, you know, where, where where we saw the fans wanted to be in August of this year.
4: Hospitality, though, for any major sporting outfit now, both for their own corporate sponsors and for the public, though, is a very important part of, the, of what they provide in return for the sponsors' cash. So is that not actually a reasonable grumble to have about the new arrangement?
3: Oh, look, I think, I think it is a reasonable grumble because, you know, I said I'd subsidise them. And, and, of course, you know, I'm not doing that now. I'm moving it. But I think that's where, where, where the grumbling should stop. I mean, all the t- none of the teams really wanted to go to this park-like place right opposite the race course um, uh, for the August event. You know, we, sit, we told them we were putting a stage there and we were putting bleachers and food and beverage and having concerts there and doing all these sorts of things. And none of the teams wanted to go. And then we, 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 we sort of coaxed them into going. Well, let me tell you that every team, no, no exclusions, every team, thought it was fantastic. They thought the hospitality experience provided to their guests was brilliant. And guess who was the loudest of them all? Emirates Team New Zealand. And, you know, and Grant Dalton um, uh, wrote a personal email to me telling me um, exactly that. So so I think, you know, the the, the, the sort of the, the reaction or, or, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the way in which this has sort of been described is a little bit knee-jerk. And I think that, you know, through the course of this week as more sort of, let's say, reason to discussion has taken place, people are starting to understand that, that look, the hospitality they experienced they had for their guests in August, in actual fact, you know, is going to be a fantastic experience through, you know, the Louis Vuitton uh, Challenger Series and and through the America's Cup match.
4: From your perspective then, what is it that that the aggrieved challenges, if you like, are now going to have to do themselves that they weren't going to have to do before for next year's event?
3: I think there are two different cases here. Uh, Team New Zealand's uh, issue is purely around hospitality, really, if you boil it all down. They had a large program related to their hospitality guests, probably a couple of hundred guests a day. And I have to say, you know, Team New Zealand probably does it, be- does it better than anybody in, in, in how they manage their guest program and things. And so the changes that we talked about will, will affect that. But as I said, working through some with some of their team members, I might add, through the, the, the course of this week, we've made some progress regarding how that might take place, you know, for the, be- for the, for the, for the sort of betterment of everybody. So that's great. So that's how they're affected. Luna Rosa are quite different, they have a completely different. Um, hospitality experience much fewer guests their concerns are more about well what does this mean does it mean that we now have to manage our way through permitting and through you know all of the things that 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 you know you were going to do in the park does it mean that the port is still going to do the capital improvements all those sorts of things and of course they are as I've just described to you but we need to to show them this we need to convince them that their 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 chances their interests are still being looked after
4: so, what has changed in the weekend, and what may still change in negotiating with the teams to try and lessen the concerns that the, that have been expressed?
3: I think the the initial uh, you know sort of reaction, which I, I again would reiterate that all that we have done, the only thing that's been done is the hospitality and fan engagement part of the um, uh, team base area has been tra- uh, transported or moved. Up to the place where San Franciscans want to see the event, um, and you know, I, I suppose, in you know, in, in New Zealand terms, it would be like, um, you know, moving it from, um, you know, in, 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 the, in the viaduct in Auckland, you know, or, or from Devonport over to the viaduct, or something like that. that. That's that's what's happened. We've moved the hospitality space from one place into the other. Apart from that, there really is no difference at all. And so the discussions that have been taking place through, uh, through the course of this week and will continue to take place, concluding, we believe, on, on Sunday, will be, okay, how can we make the bits that we've changed, the hospitality and the fan engagement parts, work for you? How can we make it work for Emirates Team New Zealand? How can we make it work for Lunarosa? How can we make it work for you know, Artemis? How can we make it work for Oracle Team USA?
4: I guess because it's the America's Cup and its unique history and and the things that have gone on there, it's easy to look at something at this like this and believe that it's the defender in a sneaky way trying to tilt things against the challenger
3: i look i I agree with you I'm sort of relatively new in this role, probably been in it about four months and and I have to say that conspiracy theorists are 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 very vocal um uh, in things, but you know I think in this particular instance, when you scratch away at the surface and you know don't believe the sort of the rhetoric and really sort of investigate what are the changes, then I think you know people will see that, that the decision that we're talking about is really something that will be, make a better event for everybody, and therefore you know all the teams will benefit from that.
0: Stephen Barclay says some of the teams' concerns are being sorted, and he hopes by the end of the current World Series Regatta, most teams will be happy. Rowing New Zealand is just about to wind things up for the summer after their most successful Olympic campaign. New Zealand rowers picked up five medals in London, including three gold. The organisation is obviously doing things right and have had plans in place for some time for the Rio 2016 Olympics. They named their summer squad this week, although they have given most of the 2012 squad more time off to think about their futures. Barry Guy spoke with Rowing New Zealand's high-performance manager Alan Cotter and asked him about the feeling within the organisation with the New new season about to get underway.
5: There is excitement there. It's certainly that we're seeing, um, hearing how clubs have got that many new, um, clubs and schools have got that many uh, rowers knocking on their doors, or new rowers, should I say. So uh, that's exciting to see that it, it has had an effect on the, the club and school rowing around New Zealand, and um, really the athletes that have been in the public uh, I, feel they've been good ambassadors for rowing Um, and so yeah there's still that excitement um, but uh, looking forward to the future.
6: Does it also perhaps mean that uh, you feel rowing New Zealand is doing something right?
5: Yes (laughs) Um, certainly with what we've done um, over the last few years our development has worked and we still want uh, a few new initiatives to make sure we get some more athletes coming through but we were successful at junior and under 23 world champs as well so it's working at all levels and it's just time for athletes working through the program to get up to that world uh, championship olympic uh, elite level
6: i spoke to ceo simon peterson more or less just after the olympics and asked about uh, you know the top athletes taking time off and he said well they shouldn't take too much time off because there are a fair few others you know, biting at their heels. Do you feel that that, that level underneath is uh, is there and ready to perhaps come through?
5: Yeah, there's a a, a, a lot of athletes at that level, certainly out the under-23s and the ones that uh, certainly didn't qualify for the A final. So there's a group of athletes coming through. Again, they've been developing over the last four years and as we will see with, uh, so let's say, Eric Murray, um, that was his third Olympics before he achieved the medal. So it does take time um, to get to the top, and we just got to be make sure that we're de- developing the athletes that they can get to the top, and it all takes time. Um, so we have got a, a good group of uh, young ones coming through.
6: What about the Olympic stars, I'll call them? Um, not back yet? You expecting them all back?
5: Uh, yes, uh, we are in discussions with them. Uh, a couple of them still got to make up their decision on uh, what they are doing. Um, some of them are overseas still, uh, so we should know by the end of November where they're all at. Uh, but there's some. Um, they're already some of them are already training, doing different things, cross training, doing a bit of cycling, a bit of triathlon. Um, so they're not, if you like, sitting on the couch uh, watching TV. They're certainly being active and we'll see the first of those coming back into our summer squad as of the first of December
6: so, so they're all interested in continuing on in your elite squad is that what you're saying I mean uh, or they just they just uh, um, considering their, their goals perhaps
5: yeah well they're considering um, let me say there's say 95 percent of them uh, uh, have committed to the next four years. And the other couple are just really uh, deciding um, their future in rowing, and uh, we'll wait to hear back from them. Uh, but we're just giving them that space to think about it. Uh, it's fairly intense for once you come back into the program. Um, it's a big commitment, and so we're giving them time to think about their future.
6: This summer ahead, do things step up, or you know, uh, how how was the twenty? 20- 2013 summer uh, in the whole yeah. you know crux of things?
5: Yeah, no, well our end goal is certainly Rio um, and our aim is to have 14 boats qualified at uh, Rio. We tried for 13 boats this year, uh, two of them didn't qualify which was the lightweight four, men's lightweight four and the men's eight. Uh, so that's our aim and over the next uh, three years uh, we want to develop boats that, uh, so that we can get those 14 boats uh, qualifying for the Olympics. So, so this year, coming year, if you look into 2013, uh, there's a World Cup event in Sydney at the end of March. So that's our first target. Um, and we'll select crews to race there uh, at the th- in the first week of March. So our aim is to full um, all events over there uh, so that we can um, see, you know, it's part of the development, if you like, of our athletes. So that's the first uh, first selection, and then we have the world champs uh, at the in Korea at the end of August. Um, uh, so that's the, sort of the
6: plan uh, for next year. Is there any motivational concerns for some of the year, uh, 2012 stars, uh, and therefore do you have to address that? You know, look at changing crews or anything like that.
5: Uh, no, no, uh, we might be able to use them in different boats um, that's all that all comes through the trial process, um, and we're chatting with them we um, We see them helping out the younger ones as well as helping in boats during the summer squad to uh, feel what's going on in the boat on the water and uh, give them some encouragement and advice uh, through the through the summer period so we'll we'll use those athletes that are the medalists. Um, this summer period so uh,
6: ahead, mate. Yep. As you say, you're, you're obviously doing things right you are now going through the uh, funding process with uh, High Performance New Zealand that over the next couple of months um, it, Really um, I wouldn't have thought that you'd have too much of an issue, you know, uh, you were the star performer from the Olympics this year um, you, wh- What are your proposals? Are you looking to get bigger?
5: Uh, well, again, our aim is to have 14 boats at Rio, so that is um, more boats than what we had this year. Um, so that's where, really where we want to develop athletes to get to that level. Um, and it uh, does cost some money to put development programs in. Uh, so we'll be going to them with some plans, um, and we'll see how we uh, get on. Uh, come Before Christmas, we now announce... Uh, how they're doing the funding for the next four years?
6: Uh, I think Simon did point out just after the Olympics that you know your planning process for Rio has pretty much sort been in place for a couple of years. Uh, is that correct? And now you're just looking to you know bottom line that with with the actual money?
5: Uh, yes, uh, the program's been successful, but we're also looking at it and seeing what we can do differently to refine it. And that's going right down to the development of athletes, and we've got a couple of new initiatives that we would like to put in front of uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand, uh, so that we're getting more athletes coming to the top. If we don't have a a big base of athletes down, about under 21, under 23, um, in developing, we'll never have a a full complement of boats at uh, Rio, so that's what we're um, hoping to do and, and put our plans to high-performance sport New Zealand.
0: Ellen Cotter says coaching guru Dick Tonks is also committed to the New Zealand programme. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radioNZ.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news any time on our website while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now.